The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushduni had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. The Manichaean Heresy Today, Chalcedon Position Paper, number 51. In its origin, Manichaeanism was not a heresy but a rival religion. The religion of Mani arose in the Middle East in the 3rd century A.D. and spread throughout the Roman Empire. The central teaching of Manichaeanism, a religion akin to Zoroastrianism, is that two rival gods exist, the god of light and spirit, and the god of darkness and matter. The identification of light and spirit and of darkness and matter may not have been present or fixed in the thought of Manny, but in time, this was the dualism of Manichaean faith. What is of special concern to us is that the contrast in Manichaeanism is not between good and evil as moral positions, but as metaphysical ones. What this means is that a state of being became the religious goal rather than a state of faith and its moral requirements. A simple illustration will suffice to explain this in part. If a man is born black or white, he cannot change his racial past. It is his state of being. A man can, however, be transformed morally from an evil to a good man. Having said this, we must concede that dualism does permit some degree of change by forsaking as much of material things as possible and by becoming as spiritual as possible. This is not, however, a moral change, but an attempt to suppress one side of our being, the material, for the other side, 
the spiritual. The emphasis marked the many medieval Manichaean heresies or cults, such as the Albigensians. Under the facade of a seeming Christianity, these peoples found salvation not in Christ, but in forsaking fleshly things for spiritual things. By giving one aspect of their being preeminence over the other, they were supposedly saved. For biblical faith, salvation is by Christ's atonement and by His regenerating work in us. From being rebels against God, we become members of Christ's new humanity. This conversion makes us a new creation in the moral, not the metaphysical sense. For Manichaeanism, we have the substance of two rival gods in ourselves, one a good, the other a bad God. Our, quote, salvation, unquote, is to side with the one God or substance in our being. It is clear that Manichaeanism was related to Gnosticism and its various forms of expression, such as Doceticism and Kenosis. Old Russia, the origin of Kenotic thinking in our time, was also the home of many Manichaean cults. The one best known to Americans because of the Canadian colony is the Dukobors, whom Tolstoy befriended and shared some ideas with in a rationalistic fashion. Among other things, the Dukobors believe in the transmigration of souls to pure spirit. They deny that Jesus was of real flesh and blood, and they see the human soul as the image of the true God. As Frederick C. Conybeare in Russian Dissenters, 1921, reported, they believe and say, quote, There is a God. He is spirit. He is in us. We are God. Unquote. In their spiritual being, men are of one substance with God. Those who forsake the flesh thus concentrate on the good being or nature in them. This is Manichaeanism as a religion, as a rival to Christianity. It has, however, largely disappeared in the Western world as a rival religion and has reappeared as a heresy within the ranks of Christianity as well as humanism. The defining mark of Man... <coughs> The defining mark of Manichaeanism as a heresy is that it defines the issues confronting man, not as a moral antithesis, but as an antithesis of being. If the antithesis is moral, someone clearly needs changing. Christianity thus insists on the necessity of conversion. When a man is born again, he is not another being. He is the same man, but with a new heart, with a spirit of faith and obedience not of rebellion and disobedience. If the antithesis is one of being, then the prescription for a cure is death, the destruction of all evil being. This prescription is basic to modern Manichaeanism. A classic example of this faith is Jean-Jacques Rousseau. For Rousseau, the antithesis of being is between the natural man who is good and civilization, which is evil. This means that, quote, over-civilized, unquote, men are hopelessly evil. By changing the nature of the antithesis of good and evil from morality to being, Rousseau ushered in the age of revolution. In terms of Rousseau's and beginning with the French Revolution, 
men began to dismantle civilization and to exalt salvation by death, the guillotine. Another example of this faith is Karl Marx. For him, humanity was divided into two classes, one good, the other bad. His solution was revolution and death, and his followers such as Trotsky, Lenin, and Stalin became great advocates of total terror, an example, death for the, quote, enemies, unquote, of the working class. This Manichaean heresy solves no problems, rather it aggravates them. Having once liquidated the old, quote, ruling class, unquote, it continually finds new evidences of this irredeemable evil in its own ranks in all who disagree. The Marxist prescription is not conversion, but the slave labor camp and death. Racism provides another instance of modern Manichaeanism. Evil is seen as incarnate in a particular race, black, white, or yellow, in Jews or in Gentiles in their group, not ours. In the liberal version of racism, all men are naturally good, except Christians, and it is the environment of religion and the family which is evil. Much more than a few adherents of Anglo-Israelism are convinced that all who are not members of the, quote, chosen, unquote, tribes are, quote, the seed of the serpent, unquote, demonic. This is Manichaeanism. Because of Manichaeanism, the problems of modern man cannot be solved without a return to biblical faith. If my enemy can be converted, I can pray for him, be patient with him, and do all that is morally possible to work peaceably with him. I do not make myself his victim, but I do work to evangelize him. However, if a man views reality with implicitly Manichaean premises, as much men now do, not conversion but suppression and death become the solution. For many of our humanistic statists, the evil is Christianity. Hence, by <clears throat> Hence, they work to suppress and destroy it. At the same time, whatever their differences, they sense their essential identity with Marxists and are ready to work with them. For Manichaeanism, peace is a highly selective practice. It is applied only towards those who are on the side of true spirituality or intelligence. It should be easy for Christians to confront, expose, and convert these Manichaeans. All the weapons in their biblical arsenal provide them with the most effective means of bringing a saving knowledge of Christ to these peoples. The problem, however, is that too many churchmen are themselves infected by this implicit Manichaeanism. Within the church, the covert Manichaeanism of modern man takes another form, an older one. Instead of a moral antithesis between faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, quote, by their fruits you shall know them, unquote, Matthew 7.20, on the one hand, and man's rebellion against God and his attempt to be his own God, Genesis 3.5, on the other, these churches have another antithesis. This false antithesis is between spirituality and materialism. Many churchmen will object to a doctrinal clarity of faith. They prefer to be general and vague on matters like infallibility and inerrancy. 
the atonement and the incarnation and silent on such things as six-day creation, predestination, more, quote, spirituality, unquote, a vague term which often means being more church-oriented. In the church today, the word, quote, spiritual, unquote, covers a multitude of sins. In some churches, very strong and active members are considered, quote, unspiritual, unquote, because they do not attend one of several prayer groups or meetings. But too often, these prayer meetings are dominated by pious hypocrites whose long-winded prayers bar newcomers from participation. Our Lord spoke of such Pharisees in Matthew 6, 5. In his day, Moody put one such person in his place during a public meeting in England. These, quote, spiritual, unquote, Christians are often of no earthly good in dealing with needs among brethren or in their community, but they are devotees of the forms of religion. I recall one man who could never count on <clears throat> having a meal on time or clean clothing because his wife spent so much time at the church. She, in turn, regarded him as very, quote, unspiritual, unquote, because he complained. Much more can be said. The church today is so involved in this Manichaean emphasis on spirituality that it forgets that the Christian calling is to be faithful. Biblical religion is intensely practical. Cotton Mather... <clears throat> Cotton Mather is very much abused in our day, but that old Patton, but that old Puritan summed up the Christian life in the title of one of his books, Essays to Do Good. William Wilberforce, in his study, A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious Systems of Professed Christians, contrasted with Real Christianity, 1797 denied that religious observances were the sufficient marks of faith. How real a person's faith is becomes evident. Wilberforce said in how seriously they viewed the education of their children in the faith. Quote, it cannot be expected that they who are so little attentive to this great object in the education of their children should be more so in other parts of their conduct, where less strongly stipulated by affections, and less obviously loaded with responsibility, unquote. If in this key area of the family we do not take our Christian duties seriously, our pretenses at spirituality elsewhere are evil. It is a significant but suppressed fact that one of the most powerful evangelical leaders of this century, who died some years ago, was thoroughly detested by his godly family. Another form of this false spirituality is a solemn and dour countenance and manner, as though spirituality means a pompous demeanor. The answer to this kind of behavior was beautifully set forth in an old hymn. Quote, Why should the children of a king go mourning all their days? Unquote. What scripture presents us with is not two gods in an endless and eternal conflict, but the one true God who made all things and made them very good. Genesis 1.31 Things that are out of joint 
not because matter is evil, but because man has sinned. If matter is the problem, there is no remedy for it, because we live material lives all our days and face the resurrection of our bodies at the end of history. If spirituality is the answer, Christ's coming was not necessary, because many religions stressed the need for spirituality. Socrates and Plato both stressed spirituality and were both homosexuals who saw their vice as a spiritual love. Manichaeanism has been a governing undercurrent in the Western world. Its influence, both within the church and outside of it, has been enormous. Dennis de Rougemont, in Love in the Western World, 1939, traced its influence on the idea of romantic love. Because Manichaeanism sees man as being of two substances, the one good and the other evil, for Manichaeanism, there is no real solution to a man's problem. However, quote, spiritual, unquote, he becomes, he still remains a material, a physical being. The result is frustration. Mario Prats called it, in his book of that title, The Romantic Agony. Our Manichaean culture and nations are thus in the grips of an ideology of perpetual war. The deeper the nations become involved in the conflict of interest, faith, the deeper they fall into the morass continual battle in a war that cannot end. Manichaeanism posits an irreconcilable conflict of interests. Manichaeanism posits an irreconcilable conflict of interest. In this conflict, from a Manichaean perspective, suppression and death are both a necessity and a futility. For over half a century, the Soviet Union has been killing off class enemies. But they seem to arise as fast as they work to death in slave labor camps. The Manichaean solution is suppression and death. But it is an unsuccessful solution because the, quote, enemy, end quote, is an equally essential part of being. The Christian solution is conversion. What we need is a purging of all elements of this covert Manichaeanism from the thinking of the church. Then the power of God unto salvation will be clearly manifest. June 1984 The Montanist Outlook Calcine Position Paper Number 52 one of the sadder movements in the early church was Montanism. It was not in purpose a heresy, although it became one in time. Montanism began as a demand for stricter discipline in the church. It wanted to return to the earlier years of spirit-created acts and utterances. It emphasized spirituality as against, quote, carnal, unquote, Christians, and it stressed the belief that the second coming would very soon occur. Almost every emphasis made by Montanism was rapidly carried to dangerous extremes. The founder, Montanus, had himself a background which did not favor his cause. He is said to have been a castrated Phrygian ex-priest of Sabel who was much given to trances and visions. His physical lack of wholeness, according to Leviticus 21, 17-23, should have disqualified him from leadership. The Montanists called themselves, quote, spiritual, unquote, Christians. For them, the existing churches were full of, quote, carnal, unquote, Christians. 
the time was the latter half of the second century. The young church had many new converts and thus many problems. Since these new Christians were not without their lingering pagan traits, this was no less true of Montanus and his two prophetesses, Priscilla and Maximilia, who left their husbands to proclaim the, quote, true faith, unquote. A strong emphasis by St. Paul in his first letter to Timothy is that a novice or someone young in the faith was not to be ordained as an elder, 1 Timothy 5:22. The testing of time and experience is necessary. Every faith must be tested. Montanism substituted zeal for testing and experience. The Montanists, as a result, soon had many churches in an uproar. They believed that their faith gave them instant wisdom. By stressing the experience of the Holy Spirit, they assumed that this experience gave them the wisdom of the Spirit. A true experience of the Spirit increases grace and humility. The Montanist experience increased pride and judgment all too often. The great man in the Montanist movement was a Tertullian, who was clearly and strongly orthodox. Montanism, in the main, was faithful to biblical faith, but it was guilty of the error of, quote, instant wisdom, unquote, on the part of novices in the faith, many of whom were fanatical women and ignorant men. The Montanists believed and stressed the priesthood of every believer. Quote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, unquote. Galatians 3.28. This means that we are equally priests before God the Father and have direct access to Him through Christ, whose members we are. This, however, does not alter our status among men and in institutions. Status in a family or in a church is not altered by our priesthood before God. The Montanist emphasis on the spirit in the life of man tended to be erosive of authority. This combined with their belief in the continuation of the Pentecost gifts made Montanists a problem rather than an asset to the churches. But this was not all. Montanism was intensely given to stressing the immediate return of Christ. Maximilius said, quote, After me there is no more prophecy, but only the end of the world. Unquote. Our Lord, in teaching his disciples to pray, taught them to say, quote, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Unquote. Matthew 6.10 This was seen as a mandate to convert the world and to bring it under the dominion of Christ and his law word. It was a part of the Christian commission to bring all things into captivity to Christ. Now, in the hand of the Montanists, it became simply a prayer for the end of the world. The results were ironic. Montanism had criticized the church for its lack of zeal, but now Montanism directed Christian zeal into a narrow channel and tended to reduce it to a hope for the end of the world. The result was a stifling of the momentum of the Christian calling to exercise dominion and to subdue the earth. The Montanists distinguished between, quote, spiritual, unquote, and, quote, carnal, unquote, Christians, a distinction which has been revived in modern times. They did more. They saw four stages in the development of religion. They did so not in terms of scripture, but by analogy to development 
in the natural world. Thus, despite their zeal, they imported Greco-Roman naturalism into the faith. They held first to natural religion and the innate idea of God. Second, there was the Old Testament revelation of a, quote, legal, unquote, religion of law. Third, the gospel of Christ came as the word of grace. Fourth, with Pentecost, there was the revelation of the Spirit, his gifts, and the rise of, quote, spiritual, unquote, religion. This scheme bears real similarities to Joachim of Fior and his three-age thinking. Joachim, the medieval abbot, divided history into three ages, the age of law, the Old Testament, the age of grace, the New Testament, and the final age, the age of the Spirit and of love. We do not know of any influence of Montanism on Joachim. Both had, however, a common assumption, a belief in an evolutionary development of religion and of God's way towards men. Where the analogy of nature is applied to God, God develops and changes like his own creation. Montanism also tended to deny the validity of authorities in the church and to reduce authority to God-possessed utterances by its prophets. The Montanists claimed for their prophets an authority denied to the rulers of the church. Authority was now, to a considerable degree, self-proclaimed as various persons gave utterances to visions. The Montanists condemned the distinction between the clergy and the laity as authoritarian but they created a new authoritarian aristocracy of visionaries who were above both the clergy and the laity. The Montanist prophecies had four concerns. First, they proclaimed the immediate return of Christ. They had added many beliefs to the biblical doctrine of the second coming as well. Second, they prophesied persecutions, which were very real and only increased. Third, it required as law within the church a variety of ascetic practices and fastings to separate the, quote, spiritual, unquote, from the, quote, carnal, unquote, Christian. Fourth, their visions created new distinctions between the various sins. Tertullian saw the law of God as abolished by Christ. He held it to be wrong that the church saw the Old Testament law and the Gospels as a unity. He said categorically, quote, The old law has ceased, unquote. An answer to the Jews, chapter 6. In his, quote, own prescription against heretics, unquote, Tertullian made his famous statement, quote, What indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? What concord is there between the academy and the church? What between heretics and Christians? Chapter 7 The Montanist Jerusalem, however, was not the Jerusalem of the Bible. Their new Jerusalem was to come down on the village of Papuza in Phrygia. New revelations were creating a new, quote, gospel, unquote. Tertullian, in his treatise on, quote, modesty, unquote, listed seven mortal sins, which, if committed after baptism, were unpardonable. The result was a new legalism, 
where men neglect God's law, they do not thereby evade the fact of law. Law is a necessity of life. Nothing can live without, apart from, or outside of law in God's universe. Men deny God's law only to create their own. Montanism became a fertile source of legalism as it developed rules from new revelations to replace God's law. Tertullian's treatise on, quote, fasting, unquote, is evidence of this. Fasting had become a new law for, quote, spiritual, unquote, Christians, and Tertullian had to answer the, quote, carnal, unquote, Christians' use of the Bible against Montanism. Tertullian admitted that these people drew their defense of limited or no fasting from Scripture. Tertullian held to very strict ascetic practices concerning fasting and more. In the course of his argument, Tertullian showed that, quote, appetite, unquote, not sin, was for him the evil, the, quote, undermining, unquote, cause of spiritual decline. As against the charge of being in violation of Galatians 4.10, etc., of Galaticizing the church, Tertullian said that Paul spoke only of the end of the old ceremonies, not those of the New Testament. In brief, a new legalism had replaced biblical faith. The Montanist also courted martyrdom. It was a sign of spirituality to want to die for Christ. Second marriages were condemned. The spiritual life meant even lifelong continence. While Montanism was opposed to Gnosticism, it had imbibed the Gnostic view of the material world. The same spirit undergirded its millennialism. Montanism wanted to see the end of a material order which it regarded as a hindrance to spirituality. Much more can be said about the errors of Montanism. The Montanists were mainly orthodox in their doctrines of God, the Incarnation, and most basic doctrines. Indeed, Tertullian is important in the history of Christian doctrine. Their basic error lay in their implicit denial of history. The Montanists had a doctrine of historical development, but its essential thesis was that the ages now had their culmination, and it was the end time. There was in their view no room nor time for further development. Hence, their demand on perfection now. Christian growth and sanctification were replaced by an insistence on the fullness of holiness now. This belief in the end time led to a downgrading of marriage. Tertullian, who had written earlier in praise of godly marriage, came to an ugly hostility to it. Virginity and continence were prescriptions for all, since the end was near. Moreover, since the Montanists saw their era as the last days of history, they were disinterested in the various Christian efforts to change the world around them and to conquer it for Christ. Tertullian and others were ready to, quote, prove, unquote, that the world had to end soon because it was, quote, overpopulated, unquote, its natural resources overused, and so on. With their end-time mentality, it was easy for them to locate, quote, evidences, unquote, to prove that the world had to end. But the demand for, quote, perfection now, unquote, does not create instant perfection among church members, only instant hypocrisy. Both in Montanist and later Donatist circles, hypocrisy proliferated because there was little patience with weak and sinning fellow believers. 
Only strength was tolerated. Where growth is denied in favor of instant perfection, weakness only increases under the hypocritical front of strength. In a moment of wisdom, H. G. Wells once said, quote, Brave men are men who do the things they are afraid to do. Unquote. We can say that strong men in Christ are men who know their weakness and increasingly rely on the Lord, not themselves. What Montanism gave to church history was a recurring demand for instant perfection, together with the belief that the end time is now. Throughout the medieval era, the Reformation, and to the present, a great deal of Christian zeal and energy has been deflected into sterile channels by this mindset. Instead of furthering Christ's kingdom, too often the Montanist temper hinders it. A pathetic example of this was cited in 1877 by Daniel Steele in a Substitute for Holiness or Antinomianism Revived or The Theology of the So-Called Plymouth Brethren Examined and Refuted. Steele reported that some of the followers of John Darby, the source for C.I. Schofield, had gone to Jerusalem to await the second coming. Quote, A handful of Americans, fragments of families, possessed by this infantile interpretation of Scripture, are eking out an existence in Jerusalem. They have adopted and are called by the name of the American colony. They are determined to be at the head of the line of office seekers when the new administration comes in. Unquote. Then and now, the Montanist perspective has commanded countless numbers of Christians. Some, like Tertullian, have been and are great and good men. All have been sure from 171 A.D. to the present that theirs is the end time of history, and they have had charts and computations to prove it. What they have instead demonstrated is their own irrelevance. Christ our Lord, quote, is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, unquote, 1 Timothy 6, 16. For a Christian to make his faith in his Lord irrelevant to his age and history is to sin, surely. No one is more relevant to all things than Christ the Lord, and only the faithful and active Christian can be a relevant man. July, 1984. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Praise His name and hear our song.
Tell the 